If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. Matthew 6, 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. We are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in particular in a little section where Jesus is talking about three religious practices, giving to the needy, prayer. We took two weeks to talk about prayer, and now we are on to fasting. And what Jesus has been doing in this section is showing us good practices, good things that are done for the wrong reasons. So I want to begin this morning by bragging about you, bragging on you all for a second. I, as long as I've been here, not once have I seen someone come in on Sunday morning bragging about fasting. Not once. <laughs> I actually have no memory of anyone saying anything to me about fasting, period. But I'm assuming it's just because it's in secret, Right? I don't think there's any spiritual practice more misunderstood, more misused, more maligned, more ignored than fasting. Yet here we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to fast. Where do we start? Let's start with what fasting is. Can you put up that first slide, Ron? Fasting in the Bible is refraining from food, sometimes water, for a limited period of time. Okay, so sometimes, especially during Lent, sometimes we'll talk about maybe fasting from Facebook or TV or chocolate or chocolate. Those are, I have no problem with that. That can be a good thing. Let's just, just make sure we got our minds that that's not fasting, okay? Fasting is when you don't eat. Sometimes maybe you don't drink water, but almost usually when you don't eat. So who, who fasted in the Bible? A guy named Moses fasted. A king named David fasted. A prophet named Elijah fasted. A queen named Esther fasted. A prophet called Anna fasted. An apostle named Paul fasted. And a guy named Jesus fasted. It's quite, it's quite the list there, right? That's like the who's who of our Bible. But why do these people fast? Well, there's a, there's a couple different types of fasting we see in the Bible. For Jewish people, uh, in the Old Testament, the, there was one day a year where you, everyone fasted, the Day of the Atonement. But we read about fasting in various other places in the Old Testament, and almost always, fasting happens as a response to something that has happened. Let me see if I can help you get your mind around this. Let's start with a definition by Scott McKnight. We can put up the next slide. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response to, of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. Okay, what does that mean? Well, again, if you, if you were to look back at all the passages in the Bible on fasting, again and again you would see this pattern. Something happens, someone dies, 
someone's sick, war's about to break out, someone has a conversion experience, some sacred moment happens, and in response to that moment, someone fasts. Let me give you a few examples. In Exodus, where we were not long ago, uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai. He uh, has this incredible encounter with God. This is when uh, he's hidden the cleft of the rock. God passes by him. And as he does that, and he receives the covenant, Moses fasts for 40 days. Okay? So he's sacred moment, encounter with God, receiving of the covenant, Moses fast. Another one, if you're, if you're reading Midway's uh, Bible plan right now, we were, we were in 2 Samuel, and recently we read that story, a pretty well-known story about King David, Bathsheba, you know, Bathsheba becomes pregnant, uh, King David has Uriah killed on the front lines of the battle, uh, and then uh, King David is confronted by Nathan for his sin, and, and what we see happen is that David's confronted with sin, and then Bathsheba has a child who's sick, and we read this, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. Okay, let's look at this pattern. Grievous moment, sacred moment. Uh, David is confronted with his sin. His child is sick. In response, David fasts. One more example. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament has his incredible encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Becomes blind, is led to Damascus, and we read that he fasted. Uh, he was I'm sorry, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So the Apostle Paul fast. Right? I just want you to see this pattern. Something happens, some sacred moment. In response to that sacred moment, someone fasts. Sometimes that leads to result. Sometimes it doesn't. King David fasts for his child that's sick, but the, ch- the child still dies. This is, different. this is different than I typically think about fasting, um, I think how most of us think about fasting, most of us, if we fast or we've thought about fasting, most of the time we don't think about it as a response to something, but how to get something, right? So, for example, maybe we've got a decision coming up, and we really want to show God the seriousness with which we are approaching that decision, so we fast in order to gain discernment, okay? Or often we will fast to become more self-disciplined, Again, we, we fast in order to become more self, have more self-control, right? If we, the way we typically think about fasting is if you fast, you will get this, okay? And I, I think the long history in the church of fasting, many people will attest to dramatic things happening uh, after fasting. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus says in our passage, there's a reward for fasting, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want us to notice that that's different than the pattern we see almost always in the Bible. What we see in the Bible is something happens, and in response to that, God's people fast. This is a little bit hard for our mind, to get our minds around. In part, and I'm going to see if I can do a little bit of work with here, this is a big topic, in part because we don't typically see our physical bodies as part of our spirituality. What do I mean? Let's do the next slide. Again, scopping night. Fasting is the body talking what the spirit yearns, what the soul longs for, and what the mind knows to be true. When you fast, you feel it in your body. It's your body talking. Whether it's through fatigue or hunger pains, your body is physically saying something. Right? Often what your body is saying 
something that your mind or your spirit also knows to be true. Think about this. Anyone ever had the experience, you walk into a room, and immediately your body tells you something is wrong. You tighten up, you get a knot in your stomach. Your body is telling you something's off in this space. Sometimes your body, often your body knows something is wrong before your mind even knows. Right? Surely I'm not the only one that's had that experience. Have others had that experience? Yeah, your body is talking. Your body is saying, pay attention. Something's not right here. Listen to me. That's your body talking. Uh, think, about, think about when someone you love died. A very common response in light of death is the loss of appetite. Now, we may not call that fasting, but very often when someone dies, you lose your desire to eat for a period of time. That is the body talking. Okay, you, you, you've lost someone, you feel the pain in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit, but you can actually feel that pain in your body. And what's happening is your body is saying, something so sacred has happened, this loved one that you've lost, this is so sacred, that to feast right now, to, to eat, would be a distraction, would actually be sacrilegious, and would dishonor this person that has died. See, see, someone dies, your mind is grieving, your soul is grieving. Guess what? Your body wants to grieve too. Your body is saying, hey, pay attention to me. I'm grieving too. I'm trying to show you we are physical beings because I think it's easy to come to fasting and be like, what in the world does that have to do with following Jesus? What does that have to do with my spirituality? Like, that's eating. What does that have to do? But we've got to understand that our bodies and our spirits are integrated. We are mind, soul, body, strength individuals. All right? We will think of all the things we'll do just in this worship service uh, with our bodies. We, will, we probably could do a little more of this. We'll move our bodies during worship. As our brother Abel told us, we could do a little more movement. But all right, we'll hopefully grow in that and we'll help our... We'll move our bodies because the joy of the Lord is in our bones, Right? Some of us who didn't grow up with that, it's a little hard, but that's okay to express the joy of the Lord in our bodies. Some people will have their heads anointed. They'll have oil put on their, a physical oil put on their head. It's a sign of, of wanting God, desiring God's healing. We'll, we stood for the word of the Lord in reverence. Uh, we'll, we'll come forward and drink real juice and real bread. Again and again in our worship, we do physical things because we are physical beings. Our spirituality is physical. Right? So, so fasting in the Bible, something happens, war, sickness, death, as a response, the people of God fast. And I think, there's, I think we can learn something from this. What if, you know, another, so not, not long, we have another few mass shootings. What if after a mass shooting, we fasted. We respond in prayer. We respond in thoughts. Okay, that's fine. But what if it went deeper? What if we fasted? What if we entered into the pain that, that God feels after another shooting and others feel after another shooting and fasted? What if we, we come to awareness of sin in our life and we fast as a response like King David? Or think about this in our own grief. We, 
You all know this better than I do, many of you. We struggle as our culture with grief. Like we often as a culture have no idea what to do with grief. Often in the face of grief, for example, in the face of a loss of a loved one, the messages you get from around the culture is mask that pain, get over it, pretend it's not there. Our, our, or sometimes in the church, we unfortunately give platitudes about our person being in a better place. Is there hope of that person being in a better place? Absolutely. We grieve, but we grieve with hope because we trust they're with Jesus. That's fine. That doesn't change the fact that we're grieving, that our bodies are saying, I'm grieving, and I need space to grieve. We're good at fasting. I mean, we're good at feasting. We feast all the time. We're terrible at fasting. We'd rather try to cover up the grief of the loss of the loved ones than to let that grief come out. And one way we could do that is fasting, is allowing our body to say something, allowing our bodies to grieve so that we can move through the grief into healing. Okay? So most, type, most common type of fasting in the Bible, sacred moment happens, death, sickness, war, we fast. People of God fast. But there's another type of fasting, and we see this in our passage today in the gospel. And this is a more regular fast, what's sometimes called a stationary fast. The, the custom had become at the time of Jesus that the Jewish people would typically fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Again, we, let's remind ourselves here, Jesus has no problem with fasting. What is Jesus concerned about? He's concerned about motive. Why are we fasting? Why are they fasting? Again, good practice, fasting, Done for the wrong reason to impress others, Jesus is not impressed, right? We talk, I said that, like, God is not impressed when we try to impress others. That, that doesn't impress God. So then Jesus, in our passage, he says, all right, here's, here's the way you do it. Put oil on your head, wash your face. In other words, what we would say, wash up, comb your hair, so that people can't see that you're fasting, but only God. And God, what sees is what is done in secret, will reward you. Remind ourselves, does Jesus have a problem with fasting? No. Actually, Jesus assumes his disciples will be fasting. Jesus' concern is that they're doing it for the wrong reason. Right? Let's talk about one other passage in the New Testament about fasting. A couple of chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, we fast. The Pharisees fast. Like, Why don't your disciples fast? Remember what Jesus says? How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Right? But listen to this. Right? Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the bridegroom. I'm with them. This is not the time to fast. This is the time to feast. But Jesus continues and says, um, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. So now, not the time to fast. Right? You don't fast at a wedding. That would be really weird to show up at a wedding and everyone's like, we're going to fast today. No, that's the time to feast. But Jesus is saying there's going to be a time where it's going to be time to fast. Right? I'm going to be gone, and that will be when my disciples resume fasting. And that's actually what we see happen. In Acts, we read that the apostles are fasting. Early church, the, 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 uh, the church started fasting on Wednesday and Friday. So long, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that was the practice in the church. Every Wednesday, every Friday. Okay? So, again... In the Bible, fasting is typically a response to a sacred moment, but also we see it as a regular 
practice that Jesus assumed his disciples would do. Okay, so what's the, what's the purpose of fasting for us today? Like, I want to I start by saying, I think that the purpose of fasting must ultimately be centered on God and on the desire to increase our love for God and for our neighbor, right? That's the greatest commandment. So that's where we need to be moving ourselves to. Um, I think there's a few ways to get off track with fasting. First one is we just ignore it. I think that's probably the most common. Um, the second, though, I think it's easy to begin connecting, and understandably, to connecting fasting to dietary and health concerns, right? Um, almost always, actually, I hear a decent amount about fasting today. It's almost always about intermittent fasting. If you don't know what intermittent fasting is, it's where you limit your eating to a certain time of the day, and you have long periods where you're not eating. I have no problem with intermittent fasting. I have no problem with doing it for health reasons. I think there's probably some valid, uh, from what I understand, reasons to do that. But I just want to say, that's not the kind of fasting we're talking about here. Okay? It's easy to like, start fasting and think, like, well, this doesn't make sense, but maybe, maybe I'll lose some weight. And we've, we've, we've gotten off track there, right? Remember what Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned about motive, right? So if we find ourselves drifting into the health and dietary concern, not because that's wrong, we need to say, nope, that's not, that's not the motive here. Um, here's the third way I think we can get off track, and this is a little more subtle, is that if I fast, God will hear me better or God will take my request more seriously. Uh, as I heard somebody describe it, it's like, I could, it's like buying an extra lottery ticket. Not that I encourage you to buy lottery tickets, but um, it's like I could, buy, I could buy one lottery ticket, which is like praying. What if I bought two and I fasted? Like I double my chances of winning the lottery. I double my chances of God uh, answering my request. Right? And so what happens is we begin to look at fasting as an instrumental way, as a way of getting something. Now, again, is there a result to fasting? I think there absolutely is. I think there's too many stories of healing and answered prayers and physical well-being and deliverance from bondage for us to not think that there's a result from fasting. Jesus says there's a reward, right? But again, what is our motivation? It can't be primarily about trying to get something from God. Our, may, our motivation to fashion emerge from a desire to know God more, to love God more, and to love other people around us more. Right? So once we, and this is easy to do, and it's understandable, once you realize your motives are slipping a little bit, you just need to remind yourself, no, that's not the right motive. My motivation's off. Um, like all the spiritual disciplines, prayer, uh, all these spiritual dis disciplines that we do, silence, these are not ends in themselves. Right? These are ways that we grow as disciples to love God and love others more. Think about your gardens uh, that you'll be hopefully tilling up this spring, right? You're going to plant your, hopefully, your tomato plants, and you're going to get out your hoe or your tools, and you're going to do some weeding around it, right? Is the point of having a garden so that you can weed? No. You need to weed, but the point is you're trying to get that space cleared around that tomato plant so it can flourish, so it can grow, so that it can bear fruit. Same thing with spiritual disciplines. Fasting is not an end in itself, right? What fasting should do is it should get rid of the weeds so that we can grow as disciples, as a way of loving God and loving others more. 
So let me, let me just, uh, how, does it, how do we do that? How do we love God and love others more by fasting? Let me give you, there's a lot I could say. I thought I'd be pushing a little bit if I did two sermons on fasting. So uh, here, here's one thing. Fasting is revealing. Richard Foster says this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals things that control us. What Foster is saying is that we, we often use food to cover up things in ourselves. We use food or pleasures to cover up things. And when, what happens is when you remove food, things start coming up to the surface. Right? If there's anger in you, if there's bitterness in you, if there's jealousy, if there's fear in you, what happens during a fast is that starts to kind of bubble up to the surface. Right? At first you might think, okay, yeah, there's some anger in me, but that's because I'm hungry. But actually, what it reveals to us is there's this spirit of anger in us. This is hard because we all, as disciples, all of us have things that are trying to control us. They're likely different for me and you. But all of us have things that want to control us. And it's very helpful as disciples for those to be revealed. Why? So that we can bring those to Jesus and ask for healing. If we don't even know things control us, it's impossible for us to bring them to Jesus and ask for healing. That's the first thing. Fasting is revealing. And the only way you're going to experience this is just to actually try it. But that's the first thing. Second thing, fasting trains us to say no to ourselves. If we're going to say yes to our neighbor and yes to God, we're going to have to learn how to say no to ourselves. We're going to have to say, learn how to say no to our appetites. And fasting is a powerful way to train ourselves to do that. Right? Think about when, when Jesus is with his disciples at that climactic moment when Peter says, you are the Messiah, Jesus says to him, you want to follow me? You're going to have to what? What are you going to have to do? Deny yourself. Man, at the heart of discipleship is self-denial. We might not talk about that very often, but go back and mark or the other Gospels and look, Jesus says fundamental to being a disciple is learning how to deny yourself learning how to say no to yourself. How do we do that? How do we train ourselves? One way, not the only way, is through fasting. Not because our bodies are bad at all. Not because pleasure is bad at all. Not because there's not a time for feasting. There is. But because growing in love for God takes training. The Apostle Paul understood this so well. He, he compared being a disciple to being an athlete. He actually compares it to, to running a race. Paul says when you compete in a game, there's a strict regime that you go into as you're doing it. You, 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 you refrain from eating certain foods, you, you train, you sleep, you exercise, you practice self-control. And Paul is saying you're in a race. We're all in a race. We're going to have to do training in this race. And part of our training means saying no to our bodies. And fasting is a powerful way to grow in self-control. Let me say one more thing about what fasting does. Fasting should always lead us to seek justice for others. Fasting, fasting is not fun, at least for me. It's, just, it's uncomfortable. Um, it, it's, I just don't enjoy it. But there's something that happens, it's at least in my experience, I become much more empathetic to other people. 
I know there's hunger in our community. I know there's hunger in our world. Frankly, I don't think about it that much. Do you know when I think about people that are hungry? When I'm hungry. And I think about, man, what is that like to do that day after day after day, to not know where your food's going to become? We should be moved to seek justice for others. Think about the parable of Jesus and Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. Story about rich man, he's up, he's living in luxury. At, at the gate is Lazarus. Lazarus is just hoping that some crumbs uh, fall from the rich man's table. Lazarus, in his feasting and luxury, is totally, uh, I'm sorry, the rich man is totally oblivious to Lazarus. Th- that's a reality. As we, if we, all our, we do is stay in luxury, we're likely going to not be aware of Lazarus at the gate and the needs and the pain of those around us. Um, Right? And here's the other thing. is Not only do we, we empathetic with them, this is a little hard to understand. We actually enter into the pathos, the suffering of God. Because God's heart is broken by injustice. God is aware of the plight of the poor. Right? Remember our Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. Part of being a disciple is learning how to mourn. Is learning how to enter into the pain of others and of God. Again, are there rewards? I think there are. I trust Jesus. Jesus said there's rewards. He doesn't explicitly lay out what those rewards are, but I think there are some rewards. Again, it's not an instrument. It's not a way to get something we want from God, but rather to form us into people who love God more and love others more. All right, so let's just get super practical. How do we do this? All right, let's remind ourselves what fasting is. Fasting is not eating for a limited period of time. Most of the time, we're talking about 12 hours to 24 hours. Um, Some people have health concerns about that. If you have diabetes, if you're pregnant or nursing, if you're on certain medications, that's valid. Honestly, for most of us, this is not a concern at all. Because think about it. We fast every day, right? Almost every day, we go 10 to 12 hours between when we eat our supper and breakfast where we don't eat, right? That's why we call it breakfast. We break our fasts, right? Like, we, it's not... We do that every day. I would recommend, if you, if you have no experience with fasting, start by missing lunch, right? Start by missing one meal. You can drink some juice during the day and eventually move towards just drinking water during the day. After you've done that for a while, you can then move into what's often a 24-hour fast, where what's very common is to eat dinner and then go 24 hours and then eat dinner the next day. Again, for the vast majority of this, this is... Uh, not a problem. If you're on medication, you can consult your doctor. Uh, and the other thing is, if you, if you struggle with an eating disorder, this is not the spiritual practice you want to engage with right now. Um, when you fast, you're going to feel some hunger pains. It's less that our bodies are hung, like really hungry. Like we we're going to think we're starving. We're not. You can go a long time without food. Not water, but you can go a long time without food. But our bodies are in a rhythm where they're trained to give us signals at certain times on it's time to eat. Okay? So some people will fast occasionally. You know, in the Old Testament, I mentioned there's the Day of Atonement uh, where the Jewish people would fast. We have something similar. Uh, we're approaching Lent. We've got Ash Wednesday, which is a very common day to fast uh, as we reflect on our own sins and, and, and sorrow for that. And then there's Good Friday, which is another common day as we fast to mark the soberness of that day when Jesus died. Um, Others are going to want to work into a regular rhythm 
of fasting into your week, where you pick one day out a week where you fast. Um, if you're able to do that, what I would encourage you to do, if you're able, take that time when you normally be eating and pray and meditate. The other thing is it's long been a practice by Christians to take the money you would have spent on that meal and to give it away to those in need. Let's remind ourselves fasting is a practice. Fasting is a practice just like giving to the needy, just like praying. It doesn't do us any good unless we do it. And I just want to kind of go back to Jesus' words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, right? We become builders by building. We become bricklayers by laying brick. We become sowers by sowing. We become cooks by cooking. We become, you kind of get what I'm going to get now? We become givers by giving, prayers by praying, and fasters by fasting. This sermon does you zero good. I mean, if you're able to fast, and there's some people that are not able to, that you should not feel guilty. But if you're able to fast, it, really the reward comes from doing it. Let me just speak about a few words about my own experience. I, it's probably much more limited than many, but here's a few things I've learned. Fasting is hard. It doesn't seem to get any easier. Like, I never wake up on a day I'm fasting and be like, man, I'm fasting today. It never happens. Secondly, I find that fasting works on you slowly. Again, this is only my experience. Others have had other experience. I don't find that I fast and have some amazing breakthrough. But as I look back at my time fasting, I feel like God is doing something with that over time. As I mentioned to you, fasting reveals things that control you. Okay? I did not realize how focused I am on physical pleasure until I started to fast. Like, you take away my coffee in the morning, and you take away my meals, and I'm like, what is the point of the day? Like, all my pleasure is gone. And what it's moving me is, what if I found my pleasure in God? What if I was like Jesus, where I fed on the word of the Lord, and that was my sustenance? It's trying to train, I hope it is training me to hunger after God, to find pleasure in God. I'll say one more thing. It's, I think, I hope it's, it's teaching me to be more empathetic. Right? I find it, some of you naturally enter into the pain of others uh, very easily. Some of us don't. I, I'm hoping that fasting is teaching me how to enter into the pain of others more easily. I want to tell you, one, we'll close up here, one more final thing. That fasting is an act of hope. Remember, go back to the scripture with me. Why, why are Jesus' disciples not supposed to fast? Because the groom is with them, because Jesus is with them. That's the time to feast. But Jesus says there's going to be a time come to fast. When is that? It's when Jesus isn't with us. It's when the bridegroom is not physically with us, which is now. We're in a time of fasting. And when you fast from food, you realize you become very alert that this thing that is essential to you is gone. Food is essential. God knows you need food. And when you fast, you realize that food is gone. And what it does is it stirs up an appetite. Right? It actually kind of stirs up hope. Man, one of the, I'm going to soon break my fasts. Fasting stirs up hunger, but it also stirs up hope. And as followers of Jesus, we're in a period where we're waiting for Jesus to return. We're in the fasting period. 
Meaning we should, have our, we should have our hunger stirred up, an ache stirred up in anticipation for the day that Jesus will return. Because guess what happens when Jesus returns? It's a feast. Again and again, the Bible speaks about Jesus' return as a banquet, as a feast. The fast will be broken when people from east and west and north and south come to the table in the kingdom of God. Right? Think about, as disciples, we're like, we're like that person at the Pittsburgh airport who's down in baggage claim and they're waiting for someone to emerge on that escalator to come back down. Someone that they have ached for and missed and has been away from them for a long time. And so if you've ever stood at the baggage claim, you're just kind of right on edge. You're kind of on your tiptoes and you're just waiting for them to emerge so that they start to come down so that you can run out and embrace them. As you stand there, you ache for this reuniting with this person you've been away from. But there's also this kind of quiet joy Fasting is an act of hope because it reminds us of a feast to come. It reminds us that one day our Lord is going to return, and that should stir up joy in us. And every time we come to this table, guess what? We get a little taste of the feast that is to come. It's like when your mom or whoever was making brownies, and you got to just dip your finger in the batter and taste it. and It was so good. It's not the full thing, but it's a little taste. When you and I come up to this table, it's like, it's like taking our fingers and dipping it in the brownie batter and getting a little taste and saying, I can't wait for the banquet. That's what we should be like today. We're getting this little taste of a thing to come. Jesus has come to earth and he has died and he's been raised from the dead and therefore we can feast right here. But we wait for Jesus to return and we ache for Jesus to return. And therefore we fast.